0: our engineer. When I say engineer, I'm not talking about railroad trains. Not that he couldn't operate one. I'm sure he's capable of operating one. Let's see. If you turn to, let's see. X chapter 25 X <clears throat> chapter 25 Anybody know much about the Supreme Court of the United States? Is It's Supreme Court, yes. It's Oh, I heard her say it too, yes. Yeah, the whole world. The whole world is saying that and it is still ringing out that uh, uh, if you don't have a degree in biology, you can't tell the difference between a man and a woman. I'm in trouble in so many ways. But the Supreme Court. Anybody ever had their case before the Supreme Court? Okay. Your case. You never stood to make your case before the Supreme Court. Okay. I should have been a little bit, little bit more clear in that. Uh, in the year 2021, between seven and 8,000 cases are put forth for the United States Supreme Court to consider. Very few will ever reach it. In fact, only about 80 cases will reach what is called the plenary review. How many of you know what a plenary review is in the Supreme Court? We simply must do better on our civics classes. Plenary, Plenary, meaning they are actually argued before the Supreme Court by attorneys. In addition, about 100 cases are considered without plenary review, meaning without lawyers. They are also around 1,200 applications for various types of relief, or opinions that can be acted upon by a single justice. The three paths to get a case before the court are first, the original jurisdiction in which cases come directly to the court without having been in a lower court. These usually involve disputes between states. The second way is a case that has already been heard in a federal court and then appealed. Third, a case that has been appealed by one of the state Supreme Courts may apply their cases to be heard by the U.S. Supreme Court. In each of these three the US Supreme Court can give a writ of certiorari or thumbs up by at least 4 of the justices. Does that sound complicated to you? And that's why I've never studied the That's <laughs> why he's never studied it. Yeah. And most people don't. property line dispute with your neighbor, you're not going to say, I'm taking this to the Supreme Court because there are steps that you go along the way in order to take care of that problem. Correct? I was watching Bugs Bunny, which is where I get a lot of my history from. I actually did because uh, Bugs Bunny was going to, he he was dissatisfied with the way uh, something was going, he says, I'm going to take this to the highest court in the land. And cartoons being cartoons, do you know what the next scene was? He, no, he was climbing a mountain. He was going to the highest court in the land. And there you have it, a Civics 101 course. Uh, yeah, uh, you can give me the third degree after this. Now, why do we talk about this if we say, well, I'm dissatisfied with something with your court case? I watch the original, there were two original court programs on TV, and I'm not talking about Perry Mason, I'm talking about what we consider to be, uh, well, uh, Judge, uh, the People's Court. Yes, but the original People's Court was... uh, Judge Wapner, and then there was one before that which was called Divorce Court, in which people would, they would waive their right to go in front of regular court, and they would put their, they would air their dirty laundry, as I say, in that. And do you know, I never remember anyone, not one single person, as as they exited, the man that interviewed them, his name was Doug Llewellyn. That's right, Doug Llewellyn. Not one person whose decision went against them ever agreed with the judge. Not one person ever agreed with Judge Wapner. He was prejudiced. He didn't listen to what I had to say. That's the nature of it. The ones that won were happy. Might not have been happy with how much money they got out of it, but they were happy that they won. Uh, they felt that they were justified in this. A a famous movie in which uh, uh, a man comes into the prison and he is asked what he's in there for. He says, well, I'm innocent. I was set up. And the man had the sense to say to everyone that was there in the prison room, and maybe you remember that from the movie, how many of you here are innocent? And everyone raised their hand. You don't know. Well, you're lucky you're here because it will be made apparent to you. In Acts chapter 25, Paul... Is uh, Paul is, let's see, oh, let's read it. Acts chapter 25 and verse 1. Uh, Paul, in 24 and before, Paul makes his case before Felix. And Felix, uh, as it says here, uh, when... Paul stays for two years there in Caesarea. He says, when two years were elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison to languish for two years. Paul would come to him often, and Paul would talk about, uh, he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. Felix was alarmed and said, go away for present. When I get opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. And Sometimes that's the way justice works. Not in the United States. I can assure you that nothing like that happens in the United States, because we would take care of it. Uh, But starting in verse 1 of chapter 25, now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem because they had planned an ambush to kill him on the way. And that's, if we remember back when Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, the reason that he was uh, hurried out of Jerusalem was because there was a plot by a group of men who said, we are not going to eat or drink until we have killed Paul. And you can only imagine how much weight they are still losing to this day, because they obviously never got to him. So they're going, after two years, they are still intent that they are going to ambush Paul, and bringing him back from Caesarea Philippi, uh, posse comitatus, as we say, uh, there. And uh, Festus replied that Paul was being kept in Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. You see, they <clears throat> in my own mind, I tend to think, well, that's the old days. They really don't have much of a court system. Well, nothing could be farther from the truth, or is it further from the truth? long ways from the truth, that they did have a a way of reckoning in the judicial system there. They may have ambushed him and killed him along the way, which is sort of sounds like the Wild West, doesn't it, in the United States? When I talk about the Wild West, I'm not talking about things that happen out in empire. I'm talking about the the Old West. Uh, But they did have, who was in charge uh, in this area was uh, Festus. And so he had the authority, and they were going to bring charges again. So after he stayed among them, verse 6, not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took a seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. And the tribunal was their, their court, which they brought cases before them. Uh, when he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Now does that sound like Luke might be a little biased on this? which they could not prove. Now the Jews are thinking, we can prove all this stuff. But Luke says, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that they could not prove. Now how would Luke know they could not prove it? He knew Paul. Exactly. He knew Paul. He knew the whole story about what had happened. And he knew that they could not prove it. Verse 8, Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any, assents, uh, any offense. Neither against the law of the Jews, against the temple, or against Caesar, have I committed any offense. I haven't done anything wrong. You think he has waited in jail for two years. And in the United States, we might consider that we could get bail for this. But remember, this, this is back in Rome. So he has sat there waiting for, mm-hmm. Yeah, he has waited for two years. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go to Jerusalem there and be tried on these charges before me? <clears throat> Does that sound familiar? Sounds exactly what Festus did. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. A little favor that he was hoping to get, which uh, if we read a little bit about Felix in the, uh, from the historians, it was not unusual to hear that these people who were part of the tribunal that were over certain areas were corrupt. I know that's shocking. It is shocking to believe that an official of the government would be corrupt. Rome gave a wide latitude for these rulers to, uh, to rule however they wanted. As long as the money kept flowing one way into Rome. As long as that money was flowing. If you brought up a case against those leaders, you'd better have a good case. But they, they would have them. And one of those was Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate had to Answer for several, if you do some of the readings against it. But he says, wishing to do a favor, would you like to tell this same story in Jerusalem? It's a pretty good plan, sounds like. But Paul says, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. When he says he's standing before Caesar's tribunal, our court right here in Travis City has the same authority as the Supreme Court. And why is that? Because we are a nation that is run by a rule of laws. We may not like them. We may not agree with them. But the judge here in Traverse City has the same authority. Now, if you want to appeal that, then you would go to the next higher court and so on until you get to the Supreme Court. But if it's been knocked down in in the lower courts, your chances of reaching the Supreme Court are pretty slim. But I don't want to take that away from people who would like to file something. But Paul says, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. This is a local matter. and This is where I need to be tried. I don't need to go to the next higher one. This is where I need to be tried. To the Jews, I've done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. That's a pretty strong accusation, don't you think? what was what was Paul implying to Festus, as you know very well yes, he and he knew that this was the place where Paul and Caesarea Philippi is the capital there for there he didn't need to go to Jerusalem Jerusalem was not the capital. it may have happened there, but the place where the uh, it was supposed to be held, was right there. The tribunal was in Caesarea, where he needed to be. Which you know very well. If I am a wrongdoer, he doesn't want to be tried by the Jews. I suspect that Paul knows uh, that the same thing might happen to him that they had planned before. He, he knows it. And so Paul probably knows <laughs> How he knows, we don't exactly know, other than he's pretty smart to be able to to figure this out. Uh, He knows that there's no reason whatsoever that he would have to go back to Jerusalem. If I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. What if I want to be punished for it? Doesn't that sound like your kids? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Paul, but Paul was willing to, you know, and I'm just I'm facetious, of course, and uh, joking about kids because nobody really wants to be punished. But Paul is he says, I'm if I've done anything wrong. But Paul knows he hasn't done anything wrong in this. And he says, uh, I do not see seek to escape death, but if there's nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. Mm-hmm. And Paul knows his Roman law. He knows that there is a rule of law that governs Rome. I appeal to Caesar. He's, and, and in a sense, You go all the way back to the beginning of the class of what it takes to get something before the Supreme Court. If you're here in the local court in Traverse City and you say, I appeal to the Supreme Court, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, Yeah. there there is a process that you must go through in order to reach that. If your case goes that far, and there have been cases, the original case to where the simplest way was there was a prisoner, and the exact date, but it seems to me maybe it was in the 1910s or teens or 20s, that there was a prisoner who could barely read and write, but he wrote out his appeal to the Supreme Court on a piece of paper, handwritten. It made it to the Supreme Court, and they said, we will hear this case. So it is possible. But here, when you say I appeal to the Supreme to Caesar, guess what happens? Yeah, you you get you get to go appeal to Caesar. And when they say they appeal to Caesar, it's unclear to some as to whether he actually would have stood before Caesar, but what he's saying is I'm appealing all the way to the highest authority in Rome. Maybe he was going to appeal before the Senate, maybe he did actually make it before Caesar. Uh, in that sense, was expecting, I should say, to go before Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. He may have been quite happy to have washed his hands, as you say, of this case, because when it says that that uh, when he could, some of the simpler cases he probably could have handled. But this one, you can only imagine the nightmare. And, and we, get a, we get a sense that, that in order to get along in any place that you're going to govern, especially when you are a hostile, uh, what do they call those, occupying forces. That's a term, remember hearing that term? As they talked about this over in the Middle East, that the United States kept saying, we are not an occupying force were peacekeepers, and, and in some people's mind that makes a difference, but for those who were being in that country of their origin, they don't necessarily see it that way. But for those who were Roman leaders, and we read enough about that from, the, uh, from how people thought of uh, the Romans in the times of Jesus, that they were not popular whatsoever. So if you could do something that was going to make peace with them, And uh, there was a centurion whose child was ill. And those who were Jews said, this man built a synagogue for us. Now, can you imagine something better than that to make peace among these people than to build their synagogues and not overtax them, to not become a burden? When you read through the New Testament, you find that all of the centurions that are talked about always have a good I not to really use a flavor, but they have a, a, people have a good opinion of them, Even though they're Romans that are ruling over them, the centurions are thought of as being sort of above approach, whether they're with the Italian cohort or, or whatever it is. Uh, but not so much with those who were over the tribunals. They were always saying, well, oh wishing to do them a favor. And can you imagine how much mileage he would have gotten, or is it kilomerage out of that? I'm not sure, metrage, uh, how much... Mileage he would have gotten had he turned Paul over to them. He would have been a hero among them. But remember, when you start to make deals like that, you usually have to keep on making them uh, as it goes. So Paul makes this. How do you think Paul knew this? Well, it's not written in there, and you won't see the name F. Bailey. Or the dream team, but you think Paul had legal counsel? We don't read anywhere about it, but but Paul, as he was back in, well, if we go all the way back to Philippi in Acts chapter sixteen, <clears throat> he gets thrown in the uh, in the jail where he meets the Philippian jailer later that night after a nice course of singing, as we talked about last week. And then they say, ah, oh, we decided we're just going to let you go. And Paul, knowing the law, says, no, not so fast. I think maybe that's the Greek, loosely, loosely translated. But Paul knows the law that you can't beat someone who has not been condemned. Can't do that. He knows that when he comes to Jerusalem. And they're stretching him out, and they're just about to beat him again. And if you read what Paul says about how many times he got beat, it's not even recorded in the book of Acts, all those times that he got beat. But he tells about how many times he got beat. And maybe he just reached the end and says, hey, is it lawful to beat someone who's uncondemned? And he just flippantly says that. I don't know with what force or import that he said it. But Paul knows the law. And he knows he's a Roman citizen. He knows he's a Roman citizen. Mm -hmm. he's from Tarsus of Cilicia, no mean or no common town, which should have been the, as I mentioned before, should have been that red flag that made someone's ears perk up and say, oh, wait a minute. You know, we take it for granted that everybody in the United States, whether they are born here in the United States or they are someone from another country, has those rights. They have the same rights as you and I. Uh, They have the right to face their accusers. That's what the... um, our constitution is all about but Paul knows this and he says I appeal to Caesar and that sets things in motion as we we back up and you sort of you step back and look at the big picture Paul writes to the church at Rome and we go back years even though it's just several chapters go back years when Paul writes this letter to the Romans he says and I'd like to stop by Rome on my way to Spain and so he mentions that a couple of times in the letter. It's his desire to go to Rome, and you know maybe maybe a lot of us say I, well, I'd like to I like to do this, but we don't necessarily want to have to go to jail in order to you know get our uh, what is that called, uh, Larry? It's called a bucket list, isn't it? Yeah. In order to achieve our bucket list, we don't always want to go to jail for it. Uh, but Paul could have gotten out of jail somehow. He could have gotten out of this before, because. Uh, uh, he goes before Agrippa, and I want to get this, uh, uh, verse 32 at the end of chapter 26. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been... But now Paul gets his... How's that for a good deal? It's always free when you have to go by jail. I, but who would have known all of this that, uh, that Paul was going to have to go through in order to, to get to Rome? And he is... Uh, he is assured that he is going to make it, but he has he has one more uh, defense of his gospel in chapter twenty six in chapter chapter twenty five uh, a King Agrippa and his wife Bernice or Bernice, however you want to pronounce that uh, they they make a visit and it 's probably a, a courtesy visit to to meet the new ruler and 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 uh Festus really has no idea. He, he's just, he really doesn't know what's going on here. Uh, and uh, uh, to Caesar you, you appeal, to Caesar you, you go. Now, in verse 13, when some days had passed, Agrippa, the king, and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And they stayed there many days. Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there's a man left by left prisoner by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them, that it is not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face, and had an opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. Notice he leaves out the part um, about trying to make a deal with the Jews to take him back to Jerusalem. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat at the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in this case as such evils, I suppose. But rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion. And about, and I have this circled in red here, about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Imagine being a ruler there in Caesarea, close to the beginning of where Christianity goes out. And all you know about this is about a certain Jesus who was dead whom Paul asserted to be alive. Boy that's the gospel right there in one in one lump isn't it? Whom Paul asserted to be alive. But being at a loss how to investigate these questions I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow he said. You will hear him. So with the uh, present, you will see this man. So so on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience. Remember, he's a king. He's a king of that that local area. Uh, So we go down to verse 1 of chapter 26, after all the pomp and circumstance are done there. Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. And uh, it's not the first time they use that, that term, he stretches out his hand. So Paul, <clears throat> Paul says in, when he writes to the Corinthians that he was not, it was not by eloquent speech, uh, not by the wisdom of men. But when I listen to what Luke records in these speeches, I think they're pretty well-crafted. As far as speeches go, in the uh, the one who is known as the father of rhetoric was Aristotle, and no one here is old enough to remember Aristotle. But Aristotle is the one who is thought to have invented rhetoric. Now, when you say, "Well, that's a rhetorical question," but rhetoric in those days was the ability to be able to get up and speak. And let's see, where did I hear about? Abraham Lincoln. Does anybody remember the the man's name who spoke before Abraham Lincoln? At the Gettysburg? He spoke for two hours. He was one of the preeminent orators of the day. He spoke for two hours. Abraham Lincoln gets up to speak, and before the photographer can even set up, and back, back in those days, uh, <clears throat> well, Rob and Joanne were on the hayride with me, and remember when we saw the tire around the tree, and we got there and said, every year when I go on the hayride, I want to get my camera out and get a picture of it, and I only have like four or five seconds to get it, and I miss it every single time, but Rob was kind enough to point out where it's at on the map, so I think I'm going to drive back there and get that picture, does anybody remember that tire that's on the tree? Yeah, every year I say I'm going to get that. The photographer, when Abraham Lincoln <coughs> gets up to speak, did not even have time to set up. He got pictures of the whole day, but Abraham Lincoln only spoke, how many words was in the declaration, or decoration? Gettysburg Address? Yeah, 200 and 250, 260, 270? Yeah, in less than, and you can speak it, in less Edward Everett. And we have to, yeah, and in the 1920s, you still had to look it up on Google because who remembers Edward Everett? But everybody remembers Abraham Lincoln. That notes that he scratched on that piece of paper for us. He didn't need to take two hours to expound on what he had to say, but it is a classic speech. I have a couple of, couple of books here. Where would I put them? Oh, here they are. Uh, Words that Change the World, and in here they have the great speeches uh, by people such as Winston Churchill. You guys heard of Winston Churchill? Yeah. Um, Some guy named FDR. And I have another one, Words that Change the World, and it's, it's the audio. I'm fascinated by speeches, and no less fascinated when I read how Paul crafted His speech, not only here in chapter 26, but in all of the speeches that he made. And especially when he's in front of the group in Athens and how well he orderly lays that out. And Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, copied it for us and put it there. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. And the word for defense there, apologia. Uh, Some of them might say, do any of your versions say Paul made his argument? Sometimes when they use apologia, in the Greek they'll say defense, sometimes they'll say argument. So when we hear the word argument, what does it mean? In our nomenclature of today, Paul makes his argument. He makes his answer, but we think, well, he's making an argument. I'm going to argue with you about this. But no, this was a way of, uh, when you made your defense, this apologetics was a way of crafting a speech before them. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I 'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies that 's English controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. What a great introduction. You know, he could have, the average person might get up here and say, I'm being railroaded. Wait a minute, he can't use railroad because it hasn't been invented yet, but I'm, I'm being hoodwinked here. They, I'm innocent, but he doesn't. He crafts this beautiful, beautiful speech here. There's no hoodwinking. Our own nation, and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by the Jews, O king, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Now remember, he's speaking to, here to Agrippa, and Agrippa was Jewish in his background. And so when Paul says, uh, especially in verse 3, because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews, Paul knew his audience. Doesn't go on and quote a lot of Old Testament scriptures, but, but he makes enough of a, as I call them, little breadcrumbs there for Agrippa. And it makes an impression because when it's all over, when Agrippa says, this man could have been set free if he would not appealed to Caesar. He made his case before him. And as as you examine of what makes for a good speech and you lay that template over top of this, you think, it is a very well-crafted sermon slash speech slash argument that he makes. And now I stand on trial here because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to obtain, as, as they earnestly worship day and night. And for this hope I am accused by the Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Notice how he's slipping the gospel in there. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in, opposition, in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. Uh, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. Notice how these are pluralities here. Because in the beginning we think, well, Paul maybe only cast his vote against Stephen. If that was true, he would have used a singular. But it says... I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And that's no mistake by those people who are translating Greek, it's plural. I punished them often in synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in, boy, describe your anger this way, in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Right, he's laying it right on the line here. As he goes back into this. In this connection, now he's going to tell about his conversion. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when they had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul. Remember I mentioned that about saying things twice? i getting his attention. Why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Anybody know what a goad is? If you're a farmer and you had animals that were pulling the plow or a wagon, it was that little, if they tried to kick, there was a little uh, pointy thing that they'd only kick once or twice. And then they got it. It was like Pavlov's dog, if that rings a bell to you. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, what does therefore mean? What's it there for? (coughs) Because of all these things I have said, O Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, and notice that he's going to compactly put the gospel right here, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. He slipped that cleverly in there. And as he was saying these things in his defense... Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul says, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. Notice that no time does Paul become disrespectful towards anyone there as he makes his defense. I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about the king right here, knows all about this. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For Jesus, they were not done in a corner. These things have been done openly. Everything that Paul has done has been out in the open. Nothing secret. King Agrippa, and here it is, where he makes his address to him. And in chapter 26, there's only five questions that are asked, and here's one of them. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And before King Agrippa can answer that, he says, I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, and this is where I'm going to need some help from you and your versions. Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Question number two there. In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Is that a question? Or is that a Do your versions use that as a statement or question? As a statement. Here in the English Standard and some others, it's a question. In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? It's really sort of, as we call it, a rhetorical question. Agrippa is really saying, You're not going to persuade me in such a short time. Or is he asking him? Or is in a short time you will persuade? And Paul said, Whether short time or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Such as I am. What is Paul? He's a Christian. He's a follower of Jesus. He's a Christian. Except for these chains, I want you all to be just like I am. Paul lays his defense before the court. In chains, he makes his defense for what he is, but he also, for the charges against him, but also, in this, what else does he do? Why that cotton picker? He slips the gospel in there. He preached so eloquently. And Agrippa, yeah, in such a short, yes, cleverly, Agrippa knows that that's what Paul's trying to do for him. But Festus says, you're out of your mind. And why would Festus say that you're out of your mind? Because it sounds like a pretty far fetched story. Heart's hard, yeah? Yes, Paul Paul mentions about raising. In such a short time, Agrippa may almost. Almost Janine, clear this up for us. I'm just gonna say that I think this is a great thing that Paul is before the law of the land that disagree with his beliefs if he shows me utmost which Yes. Yes. There's a I I I like uh we only have another half hour here before the next bell rings, but yeah. Uh, I, I like watching uh, criminal, not the ones that are the reality shows, but well-crafted ones like Perry Mason and, and that to where they give these long eloquent speeches. And, and the lawyers will tell you, we hardly spend any time in court at all. It's such a small part of this. Everything is done so that you can avoid actually having to go to court so you, you make this. But there are some, if you've ever watched uh, Inherit the Wind, the movie or the play uh, the ta- about the monkey trials, uh, those speeches in there are just brilliant on both sides, uh, whether you're Clarence Darrow or not Clarence Darrow. As they get up to make these speeches, they're well-crafted. And Paul, even though Paul says to the people in Corinth, I wasn't a great speaker in front of you. And I would raise my hand as if I were there and say, Paul, I disagree. I've heard you speak before. You're pretty good. I, I might give you first place at a speech uh, competition. But it is just so well-crafted, as, as Paul says. I appeal to see... And, and then, when he has to make his case... You'd think, I'm going to spend all my time trying to get out of this. But he doesn't. He uses that and brings it all the way around and says the gospel before them. And for in typical fashion, you're going to have those people that are going to say, you're out of your mind. What do you, you believe this stuff? You, you thump your Bible like you believe this stuff? And then Agrippa says, yeah, I know what you're doing. It's such a short time. And scholars have wondered at, at that verse 28, what exactly did Agrippa mean? Because some versions say it as a statement, others as a question mark. And it's lost to history. History doesn't tell us whether Agrippa, as far as we know, never obeyed the gospel. But he had his chance. His heart was, boy, it was that close in there. You might think in terms of Nicodemus that he had to go to Jesus at night, but he was a believer. But you think, was it because everyone was there surrounding him that Agrippa would have to make a choice? Interesting. Almost persuasive. Did. Questions or comments? Did I see another hand up? Okay, I'm waiting for that bell to ring. Or has it already rung?